Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. We're thankful that you're here in person this morning, but many of you are watching online and we thank you for being faithful to engage with us, to pray with us, and for the many ways that you're partnering, we thank God for you. If you have your Bibles today, I wanna ask you to take them and open them with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter one, for this morning's message and for our time together today. Many of you were here last week, but some of you are here today for the very first time, and we are in a series of sermons that are centered around the story of Christmas, the story, the scriptural account of how Jesus came to this world and why he came and what it means for us today. The series focused this year as we're focusing on the various characters from Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna and even the wise men. As these scriptures unfold, we begin to see an overarching theme, and that theme God is in control. Over the past year and a half, maybe up to two years almost, ever since we've been dealing with all the pandemic and all the political nature of our culture in the moment, there is a common question that people are often asking. And that question is this, what in the world is going on? When people are looking at all of the political chaos in our country, when people have been dealing with the constant changings of the restrictions and mandates and the uncertainties of the pandemic, when people are looking at the strains that they're experiencing in relationships that have never been strained before, when people are looking at the weariness of their own heart and soul, many people are scratching their heads, throwing their hands up in the air, and they're asking the question, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening? What does it mean? And where is God in the midst of it all? In fact, even this past week, in the context of some friendships and conversations, I've spoken with several friends who are pastors who have gotten, got, gotten to a place, frankly, of such weariness and such discouragement and such strains in relationships and at times even in ministry that they're kind of asking questions like, man, what's happening and what are we to do in the midst of all this? But I wanna remind us from the stories of Christ coming into this world of this simple truth. God is in control. Even back in Mary's day and in Joseph's day, in these moments of scripture, we find that there was great uncertainty, there was great pressure, there was great fear, there were many questions, there were strains on relationships, there was a weariness within their soul, and yet in the midst of all the darkness, God was still working and moving and working to accomplish his divine plan and purpose. This morning, you might be walking through the forest of trees. This morning, you might feel overwhelmed by life circumstances. You may be uncertain of what God's next step is for you, but I wanna remind you for just a moment of this truth. God is indeed still in control. The challenge for us in this morning is this. We must learn to look to him and we must learn to trust him. Do you trust God this morning? And specifically, do you trust God's plans? This morning from Matthew chapter one, I wanna preach to you on the subject, trusting the plans of God, where we learn about this man by the name of Joseph, whose plans were instantly and radically changed, and yet in the midst of them all, he discovered that God was working through them for his glory. If you're physically able, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse 18 and following. The Bible says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the time that we have together. I thank you for your word. God, this story has never changed. It is still the same truth as you declared it through Matthew many years ago. And I pray, God, that you would, through this, speak to our hearts now to help us to know you and to grow in our relationship with you that we might walk by faith from this day forward. I pray in Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Trusting the plans of God. I don't know about you this morning, but I don't know that there is a more unlikely character that we might be studying than the humble, unknown prior man by the name of Joseph. The Bible tells us of Joseph that Joseph, that he was a carpenter by trade, which suggests that he was skilled with his hands and with woodworking, but it also suggests that he was a hard worker. The Bible tells us that he was from the lineage of King David, but he was very far removed from King David. So frankly, he lived a very humble and modest lifestyle. In fact, he was such a humble man that I think that he would probably be a little bit embarrassed today to know that we're talking about him or to be embarrassed that his figure, if you will, would be represented in nativity scenes all throughout the world today. But there's much to learn about God's encounter with this man by the name of Joseph, specifically that we can learn to trust the plans of God. I don't know about you today, but there have been times in my life and even moments recently where there are things that are happening, circumstances that are unveiling, questions that are being asked that frankly, I don't fully understand. Has God ever done something in your life that you didn't understand? Have things ever unfolded in a way that frankly, you just didn't see it coming? Well, that's exactly where Joseph is. But even in the uncertainty, God shows us how we can trust his plans. There's four things I want you to see this morning about trusting the plans of God. Number one, I want you to see the challenges of God's plan. The challenges of God's plan. Now, when I use the word challenges, I'm not saying to us that when God's will, when God speaks to us and when God makes his will known, I'm not saying that God's will is always challenging. I'm not saying that God's plan is always difficult. For example, oftentimes God calls to do things that are not difficult, but instead they are things that are simple. Maybe they're obvious and perhaps even easy. Sometimes it's not the big monumental step that God is wanting us to take, but the step of faithfulness in some simple area of obedience. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God's will is always a Mount Everest in our eyes. But it is often challenging to us, and it's challenging for two very reasons. Number one, God's plans are often challenging because they are different than our own. God's plans are often different than our own. The Bible tells us loud and clear in this passage of scripture that Mary and Joseph were betrothed, but before they came together, which means before they shared intimacy in marriage, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded in this that Joseph was a man. Joseph in this betrothal period, he's in this legal process where according to the culture, he's perceived or recognized as being husband and wife with Mary with the exception that they had not shared physical intimacy and they did not yet live together. Joseph in this time is likely working hard to build the house, to build the lodging for them. According to that culture, most of the time, the Jewish men would go to their father's house and they would literally build a room onto their house. Ladies, how would you like to live with your mother-in-law? That's what Mary's looking forward to in this moment, okay? I'm just picking for a moment. But Joseph, in that culture, that's what he's doing. He's building the house, he's working long hours, he's working hard, no doubt as he's doing so, he's dreaming of the plan, hey, Mary's gonna be my wife, we're going to be together, we're gonna celebrate years, we're gonna have children, here's all the things we're gonna do, and suddenly she is pregnant. And he knows he's not the, child, the father of this child. And in this moment, Joseph begins to understand something, Joseph recognizing this is not his plan. This is not what he was dreaming of. This is not what he was hoping for. Frankly, this is not even what he wanted. And yet, what was unfolding was God's plan. And God's plans are always best. 
There are times in life and situations where frankly, we don't understand what's going on. We don't understand why that door didn't open. We don't understand why that opportunity didn't occur. We don't understand why this thing did not take place. But in the midst of it all, if you know God and are walking with him, you can trust that his plans are always best. I'm sure when Abraham in the Old Testament was promised to have an heir, I'm sure at times it seemed strange to him that God was causing him to wait for so long. In fact, he tried to take matters into his own hands. But when God sent him that heir and son named Isaac, the Bible showed us that God's plan was best. I'm sure that when Noah was called to build that ark, can you imagine the sight? Hey, Noah, I know you haven't seen rain in a long time. In fact, I know it's been years. And you don't, y'all people don't even know what rain is, but I want you to build a boat, Noah. I mean, just think, if I'm Noah, I'm like, what? Come again, Lord? What are you talking about? That's right, we're gonna call it an ark, and here's how you're gonna make the thing. And yet, God's plan was best. Can you imagine being Gideon in the Old Testament? Hey, Gideon, I'm gonna raise you up to be a mighty warrior. But you know all those thousands of soldiers? Yeah, send them all home. What, God? But God's plan was best. I'm sure to the early church, it seemed strange that God said, hey, listen, I'm gonna take this murderer named Saul and I'm gonna make him the most famous missionary that's ever been known to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth. And yet God's plan was best. Can I remind us this morning, Joseph in this moment is experiencing what I've called last week and I'll call it again, a divine interruption. This divine interruption is this. Joseph is moving forward with his plans. He's moving forward with his process. He's got his direction that he's going and God completely interrupts those things because in that divine interruption, God is giving a personal invitation to bring Joseph into his work and into his will. God's plans are challenging because they are often different than our own. The Bible tells us loud and clear several things about the background of this pastor's scripture. The Bible tells us specifically that Mary and Joseph were betrothed and Mary is suddenly found to be with child. Now, you can imagine the background of this, the questions that Joseph would have had. Mary, according to Luke chapter one that we studied last week, has had a visit from an angel. The angel has declared to her, yes, Mary, I know that you're a virgin, but God has chosen you and through your womb, you're gonna conceive and God's gonna bring his son to be the savior of all the world. And the Bible tells us something interesting in Luke chapter one, verse 39. It tells us that the angel also told her, hey, listen, by the way, just to prove to you that all things are possible with God, I want you to know about something. Your relative, Elizabeth, who's up in age, she's been barren for years, she is now pregnant and she's in her sixth month of pregnancy. Luke chapter one, verse 39 tells us immediately after the angel departed, listen to what happened. Now at this time, Mary arose and went, listen to the key phrase, in a what? In a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah. She went as fast as she could to Elizabeth, like many of us will do running to the mall to find the last minute gifts on December the 23rd. She's running in a hurry, okay? She's immediately getting to Elizabeth. She stays there with Elizabeth for the next three months. Little baby John is born. She likely stays a little bit longer and helps take care of him. And then after that, she comes back home. In other words, it's been at least three to four months since Mary skipped town suddenly in a hurry. Can you imagine the questions in Joseph's mind? Mary, where have you really been over the past four months? M Mary, you... You're pregnant. How has this happened? Who is the father? Mary, what's going on? Who have you really been with these past four months? Joseph's in a moment where frankly, he is completely, his plans are completely interrupted and it would have been easy for him to be angry with her. It would have been easy for him to be angry with God and yet in the midst of it all, God was working in an incredible way. I wanna remind us of Isaiah 55 verses eight and nine. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. There are some things about the thoughts and the ways and the plans of God that we cannot fully understand. It means that we must trust him and learn to walk by faith. Secondly, God's, work, God's plans are often challenging, not only because they're different than our own, but here's a key thing. God's plans are often challenging because they demand, wait for it, our waiting. Let me ask you a question by a show of hands. How many of you love to wait? I mean, anybody, anybody just love to wait? 
Just, uh, just last night, I was reminded of this. Uh, um, Heather and Gracie and Mac were out of town and I had uh, Manny and I had Lane and, and one of Lane's friends and we were getting some dinner and so we went to a local restaurant and they, they called it a fast food restaurant. The only thing fast about the process is the way they took my money. I'm not joking. I mean, we ordered our food and we sat and we waited and we waited. I mean, it was such a blessing to me to sit there and wait and get up from the table like three or four times and make sure that the, the animals weren't still living in the back. I mean, it was crazy how long we waited for this fast food. None of us like to wait. And yet that's exactly what God was calling Joseph to do in this moment. In fact, I want us to kind of key in on something for just a moment. We can imagine in this moment that Joseph is filled with all sorts of questions and uncertainties. His pride is wounded. His insecurities are inflamed. His hurt is likely off the charts. Mary has likely even explained to him, she's come back home, he is confused by the whole situation, and she says to him, Joseph, I, I know I'm pregnant, I know it's hard to understand, but, but you're gonna have to trust me here. This child of me is the son of God. That's a little crazy, right? The Bible tells us something interesting about Joseph, 19. Verse 19, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, listen to the statement, planned to send her away secretly. Now think for just a moment. Joseph was under all sorts of pressure. His buddies are likely saying, dude, I have no idea, man. I know exactly what you should do. The rabbis and the priests of the culture are likely coming to him and reminding him of the Old Testament law and reminding him of his rights in this moment as she has likely been unfaithful to him. No doubt Joseph is experiencing all sorts of pressure in the moment. He knows that a decision has to be made in what is to happen in this relationship. Joseph is a righteous man and he's a compassionate man. He knows that if he presses the letter of the law, according to that day and culture, she would have been stoned to death. So Joseph begins to think through what is the easiest way to help her? What is the easiest way to end this relationship? That's the only conclusion. What's the best way to do that without destroying her? Now, we don't know how he came to this conclusion. Did he study the law and just figure this is the best option? Had he asked God for direction along the way? We don't know. But here's what we do know. As we look at this word planned, Joseph planned to send her away privately. The word is in the past tense, which shows us that Joseph made up his mind as of the best course of action. When he went to bed that night, he had every intent of fulfilling this plan in the days that followed. Now, how did he come to this conclusion? We don't know. How quickly did he decide this? We don't know. Had he even asked God for help along the way? We don't know, but here's what we do know. He apparently made these plans, though they were noble and gracious and commendable, he made them apparently without the help of the Lord. How do we know that? Because he made plans that were contrary to what God's will was in this situation. In other words, even though Joseph was a noble, righteous, and honorable man, even though he's acting in grace, here's the reality. He's still making his own plans. And yet in this moment, we see something very interesting for us. And that is this, when you and I are faced with circumstances, decisions that must be made, we must learn to do something that is very difficult to do. We must learn to wait on the Lord. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been in a place where you acted on your own logic and understanding instead of being willing to wait on the Lord? Have you ever been in a situation where you made your own plans, you made your own decision based upon the pressures of the moment, based upon your own want or will, rather than seeking the instruction and direction of the Lord? You ever been there? I've been there many times. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, these simple words, we are to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. When you and I lean on our own logic and understanding without seeking the Lord, frankly, we can get ourselves into all sorts of trouble and all sorts of messes. Joseph felt the pressure that he had to make a decision. He made a decision, but we see immediately that it was not in alignment with God's will. The simple yet important point is this. We must be willing to wait on the Lord. When you don't know what to do, we must wait. 
Psalm 27 verse 14 says it this way, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. But can I say to us today that waiting for the Lord is not like me sitting there at that restaurant last night waiting and getting impatient and getting frustrated and getting up and moving and checking and you know just trying to figure out what we gotta do around here. Waiting on the Lord is not sitting there watching paint dry and watching grass grow. Waiting on the Lord implies a posture of action. It means that we are to be praying. It means that we are to be searching. It means that we are to be seeing how God is at work and seeking to join him where he is at work. As we wait on the Lord, we are to watch for his movement in our life so that we might discern his will and join him in his work. The prophet Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah chapter six, verse 16, these simple words. Thus says the Lord, listen to this word of instruction, stand by the ways. It implies that you gotta get still in the midst of all the busyness and all the goings on and all the distractions. Stand still, if you will, by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and then walk in it and listen to this promise and you will find rest for your souls. I think just about everybody I know wants rest for their soul. But how many of us are willing to do the things that are required to get there? Stand by the ways, see and ask for the ancient path where the good way is. Listen to this. But they said, we will not walk in it. God is saying, listen, if you wanna know my will, my direction, my plans, here's what you gotta do. You gotta get still. You gotta watch and observe what I'm doing. You gotta seek me for direction. And then as I guide and direct, you step forward in obedience. The people of Jeremiah's day are like many people today. Here's what they said. We're not gonna do it. We got too much going on. We got too many other plans. We got too many irons in the fire. We got too much pressure on our shoulders. We got too much thing, too many things to be still and wait for God. We won't do it. The fact of the matter is today, there are many people who blame God for the consequences of the decisions that they made without God's direction and instruction in the first place. I remember years ago, a friend of mine who was a businessman in the Roanoke area, I love this man dearly, but I remember talking with him one day as a leader and I remember asking him, well, how do you make decisions? When you're in your position of leadership and you're looking at you know, all the decisions and all the different routes and the options, I was just trying to learn and grow as a young pastor and I remember asking him, how do you make your decisions? And I'll never forget him telling me, he's like, well, actually, you know, he said, I learned a long time ago that if you, if you wait too long in making a decision, you cause a whole nother kind of box of issues. So what I do is this, I just look at the best options on the table and I go whichever one feels right to me in the moment. And I was like, really? He said, that's right. He said, if I make a bad decision, I can always revert course and make changes in the future, but I just go with whatever I feel right in the moment. I was like, well, that's, that's interesting, right? That's, I guess that's one way to do business. And from the eyes of the world, it seemed like he was successful, like he knew what he was doing. The problem with that statement is this. It leaves out the very one that we're called to look to. The problem with that statement is it means that we're walking by sight and not by faith. We're leaning on self and not leaning on the Savior. We're leaning on our limited knowledge and avoiding and rejecting the one who knows all things. In fact, it should not surprise us then that it would be about 10 years later when that same businessman nearly lost everything he had because of a decision that he made impulsively in the moment that felt like the best option at the time. My point is simply this, in all things, we must seek the will of God. Yes, there is a time to act, a time to move forward, a time to run full steam ahead, but that time is only when the Lord has given direction and clarity, and until that time, we wait, seeking the Lord, serving the Lord, and studying his word until he says, this is the way, walk in it. Crossland Community Church, I believe that God is gonna call us in the coming year to make some incredible steps of faith, but I want you to know we will not make those steps until God has given clarity and said, this is the way, walk in it. We must seek him, watching and looking for him. Proverbs 16, verses one through three tells us this. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs even the motives. So commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Here's Joseph. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that even at times when we are headstrong going our own direction, God and his grace to accomplish his plan and purposes often still overrules us. And that's exactly what happens in Joseph's life. Joseph plans his own course, 
But God says, no, I have another path, path for you. I want you to see, secondly, the communication of God's plan. The Bible tells us in verse 20, but. That word but means there's about to be a change that's coming. He made his plans, he was going his direction, but God interrupted those plans. When he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Pause for just a moment. What's happening in this moment is the second point of this message. I want you to see the communication of God's plan. Sometimes we look at God's plan as if God is trying to play tricks with us, but that is not what God is doing. His ways and his thoughts and his plans are higher than our own, and yet at the same time, God delights in leading us one step at a time, communicating his plans for us. Here in this moment, God begins to speak to Joseph. And God in this moment uses a unique means to do so. God speaks through an angel in a dream. Now please pause for just a moment and just wanna remind us that God can use any means he wants to to accomplish his purposes. If God wants to speak through a dream, he can. He is not limited to any box that you or I might try to put him in. But please hear me loud and clear. Don't go believing that every dream is from God, okay? If you go home tonight and dream of an incredible, miraculous, amazing world in which it's all completely made of ice cream and wake up tomorrow thinking that means you need to go eat ice cream all day long, you might enjoy your day, but I assure you, you're gonna have a stomach ache for days to come, okay? Not every dream is from God. But in this moment, God is speaking directly a word to Joseph to communicate his will and his plan. Can I just remind us this morning, God still delights in revealing his plans and purposes to us. He still speaks into our life. And yes, he can use a dream, but oftentimes today, the primary vehicles God uses to communicate to us today are through the church, are through his word, and through the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, listen to these words of how God communicates his plans and his purposes in our life. Jesus said this, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and he will disclose it to you, that key word again. All these things the Father has in mind. Therefore, I said that he takes a mind and will disclose it to you. Hey, this Holy Spirit, he's gonna disclose to you the truth. And what is that truth? He tells us in the very next chapter, John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Today, we may not have the message from an angel. We may not even have a dream, but we have the word of God and we have the Holy Spirit of God to lead us and to guide us and to direct us in all truth if we only seek to hear from him. Here in this moment, God begins to communicate his plan. And when he does, God's communication through the angel does three things that encourages and helps Joseph as they do the same for us today. I want you to see three things that God's communication does. And here's what I want you to hear. As God does through the angel to reveal his word and his will, God today does the same in our own life. When we get in God's word, and more importantly, let God's word get in us, God will do the same things in and for us that he did for Joseph. What are those things? Number one, God's communication, God's plan gave counsel. He gave counsel. You wanna know what you're to do in that situation? Wanna know what you're to do in that relationship? Wanna know what God is wanting you to do with that business decision? Wanna know how God is wanting you to work and move with that challenging neighbor across the street? Here's what you do. You get in God's word. Now there's, there's wisdom in an abundance of counselors. There's help from godly friends around us who can encourage us and pray through us, but there is no adequate substitute for God's word. You letting God's word literally speaks into every matter of our lives. Here in this moment, God's word gave counsel. In fact, I wanna encourage you. When you begin to open God's word to read, um, I don't know when I started doing this, but I don't know, years ago, when I would get along with the Lord and begin to open God's word, before I do, I always take time to pray. And this is not an intercession time to pray for other people, but it's a time to pray and simply ask God for specific things, personally. And one of those prayers in that moment is, God, as I open your word, 
Would you give me counsel? Would you counsel me and direct me into the paths that you'd have me to go? And I'm usually not even specific. But oftentimes as I read through God's word, there's a scripture, there's a moment, there's a principle, there's a nugget where God gives me instruction. Sometimes it's regarding the church, sometimes it's regarding my marriage, sometimes it's regarding other relationships, but God begins to give instruction. How? He does through his word. And in this moment, listen to what the angel says. Hey, Joseph. The angel Lord appeared and said, Joseph, son of David, here's the counsel. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, now you can imagine in this moment, Joseph is afraid because Joseph loves her. Frankly, even in this situation, he's still a man of conviction and a man of integrity, but he's afraid and he has reason to be. Joseph is in a no-win situation. Ever been there? Ever been in a situation where you're not weighing like the best versus the the worst? I mean, either situation's bad, right? Here's the deal. Let's just say for a moment that Joseph and Mary had been intimate prior to this moment. Let's say that the child was his. What would he do? Well, in that case, he would marry her. But by marrying her, he would be implying that he was guilty of sin. He would be implying that he was guilty of an inappropriate relationship. And so by the culture, he would be ostracized and separated, shunned and condemned by the culture around him. His buddies, his friends, the community that he knows, they would be looking down upon him because he would be perceived in their eyes as a sinner. But let's just say he wasn't the father of the child. Let's say he doubted Mary. Let's say he was uncertain. What would he do? He would divorce her. And in divorcing her, it would say to the entire community that Joseph is not the father. Joseph and Mary haven't been together. And as a result of that, it would mean that she had been unfaithful, which in that culture means that she would be stoned to death. Joseph is in a no-win situation. Be rejected from the community and be looked upon as a sinner or Mary's likely stoned to death. So what do I do? Well, in this moment of questioning what he should do, in this moment of uncertainty, God interrupts his plan. He interrupts his direction. And here's what he says. Joseph, here's the communication. Here's the counsel I'm giving you. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. In fact, I find it interesting that everything else that follows in the verses that come after this, they are not focused on Joseph, they are focused on God. It's almost like a reminder to us that in the midst of the fear and the uncertainty, the insecurity, the questions that Joseph must have felt in this moment, it's like God is saying, listen, Joseph, you can't go based upon your fear. You can't keep pressing into your own uncertainties. You can't keep living in doubt towards Mary. Here's what you gotta do. You gotta look to me, Joseph. You gotta trust in me, Joseph. You gotta recognize that I am God and I can work and move here. Joseph in this moment is recognizing that God's plan gave counsel to take Mary as his wife. Number two, God's plan gave confirmation. Somebody said, man, I I think that God is leading me to do this. Please understand this, get in God's word. God's word will confirm the direction you're to go. God's word will confirm the plan that he is wanting you to take. If you ever sense God is leading you to do something that is not, uh, in, uh, not in agreement with scripture, then what you're feeling led to do is not of the Lord. God's leading is always in accordance and in harmony with his word. In this case, God's plan gave confirmation of the identity of the child. Listen to what the Bible says. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, this should not surprise us. If you were here last week, we were reading in Luke chapter one. This same angel went to Mary and had a conversation with her. Mary, God's chosen you. You're gonna give birth to a child. He's gonna be the son of the most high. God's gonna give him the throne of his father, David. He's gonna have a kingdom that will never end. Mary says, all right, this is is wonderful. (laughs) I believe it, but... How can this be? I'm a virgin. And then the angel declares to her in Luke chapter one, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. And for that reason, this holy child should be called the son of God. Mary leaves in a hurry. She's there with Elizabeth for the next three to four months. She comes back. She's likely told this to Joseph. But I'm just gonna tell you, it sounds crazy. Holy Spirit had overshadowed her and she had conceived that God was working a miracle when never before had this ever happened. 
Joseph had no buddies he could go to for like godly biblical counsel in this situation. And yet what's happening in this moment is this. The word through the angel, the messenger of God is this. Don't be afraid, Joseph. For the child who has been conceived in her is indeed of the Holy Spirit. This is not the child of another man. Mary has not been unfaithful to you. No, there's a providential plan and a purpose. God is doing something right now in such a way, Joseph, that if I told you the whole thing, you couldn't fully grasp it. But this child will be called the child and son of God. Next thing I want you to see, though, is not only God's plan giving confirmation, but next is this. God's plan brought great clarity. There are moments in life that we don't understand with certainty all that God is doing, but if we will look to the Lord, if we will seek him, if we will get in his word, God does often begin to give a little bit clearer focus and a little bit clearer direction of what our next step should be. Here in this moment, God's plan brought incredible clarity specifically about not only who this child is, but specifically what he came to do. If you don't hear anything else in this message, please listen for the next few minutes. Listen to what he said. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. It's interesting to me that this same angel has already spoken to Mary and twice in Luke chapter one, the angel says, and by the way, you're gonna call him Jesus, Mary. His name will be Jesus. I realize that's not the normal family name of some lineage of man, but his name will be called Jesus. The angel now says to Joseph, and this child in Mary's womb that's gonna be delivered, you're gonna name him Jesus. Now that may sound strange to us, but names in that day had much significance. In our day today, we often look for names that are cute or nostalgic or memorable, but rarely in our day today do people think about names with meaning. Um, I remember years ago, I've told you this story before, and if someone here has named this, please know that there's a, a good ending to this story perhaps, but Years ago, I was pastoring in Christiansburg and I was reading through the Old Testament and the Bible, I was reading about the Israelites, how they came to a brook called Mara and how God made this brook called Mara and he turned it into sweet water, a place of refreshment in the midst of an impossible situation. And it just seemed odd to me. And so I went and studied the background and I learned that the name Mara means bitterness. And I remember thinking, wow, that's incredible. So I preached this message about how God can take the bitter situations and the bitter things in our life and he can actually cause them to be a place of, of growth and a place of strength because his grace is sufficient and God really used that message. But I'll never forget preaching that message on a Sunday and later that week going to get a haircut and I remember that the lady that normally cuts my hair was not there and so I just sat down in this chair and began conversation and so, so I introduced myself and then I asked the, the, the young lady her name and she said, my name's Mara. And I just smiled real big, you know, and I was like, that's great. I said, well, how'd you get your name? She said, oh, my mom loved this particular soap opera and the main character is named Mara. And so that's my name. And can I just tell you, I've probably known since then about four or five ladies named Mara and they are all very, very sweet and kind ladies. But I sit there in the chair and I listen, I listen, I listen. And I said, well, actually, I learned a lot about Mara. Do you know what your name means? And we had a long conversation about that. It actually led to an opportunity to share the gospel, which was really cool. But my point is simply this. Names in that day had significant meaning. Why did the angel say, this child, you will name Jesus? Because of the meaning. You know what the name Jesus literally means? It can be translated in one of two ways, but tell me if you hear a common theme. It is translated, God our Savior, or God is salvation. That's what Jesus means. God our Savior or God is salvation. And then he goes on to say, by the way, Joseph, for this child, this child that's to be born of Mary, he will save his people from their sins. This is the first time we hear the word sin in the New Testament. The word sin literally means to miss the mark. It describes the fact that God is perfect and he's holy and he's righteous and he's true and every single one of us missed the mark. Every single one of us falls short of that. Every single one of us. Even in the Old Testament, they understood the significance of our sins and our trespasses and offense against God. 
And yet God is looking at Joseph and he's saying, this child to be born, he's gonna be the one to rescue and forgive the people from their sins. Listen to the Old Testament prophets of Micah and then also of Isaiah. Micah chapter seven says it this way. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Listen, yes, you will cast all their sins. Somebody said the word all. Not some, all their sins into the depths of the sea. Isaiah said it this way in chapter one. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, that though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they will be like wool. Those Old Testament Jews were looking and recognizing God was gonna bring a way that our sins could be forgiven, our soul could be saved, we could be in relationship with God. And then God speaks in this moment to Joseph and says, you're gonna name him Jesus because here he is. He's the savior. He's the way that you can be forgiven. He's the one who'll save your soul. He's the one who'll set you free. He's the one who'll give hope and eternal life for all the world. No wonder then when Jesus would later be there living as an adult man, walking along the path. In John chapter one, verse 29, John the Baptist would look and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the what? The sins of the world. In other words, it is not just about what Jesus did many years ago. It's about what he still does today for all who put their faith in him. The Bible says in Romans three twenty three that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short. We all need God's grace, and we all can experience God's grace by putting our faith in Jesus. First Timothy 1 verse 15 says it this way, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners. He came to save us, all of us who have sinned. God's plan brought incredible clarity in this moment as to who this child was. Third thing I want you to see, and I gotta move quickly, I want you to see the certainty of God's plan. I don't have time to unpack this this morning, but let me just kind of tell you what happens next here in verses 22 and 23. So far in the text, we're, we're kind of getting an inside, pull back the curtain understanding of what God is doing as he is revealing his plan to Joseph. We're hearing about Christ, the identity of this child, who he is, what he came to do. And then as the Holy Spirit is breathing out scripture, as the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing Matthew to write the gospel account, the, these next two verses kind of sit here like a, just like a little golden nugget to hold on to. Have you ever been going throughout your day and there's a million things on the radar of things you gotta do but there's just that one conversation that's like it's just from God. You know what I'm talking about? There's that one conversation, it's that one moment, it's that one situation in the midst of the entire day, all the minutes, all the hours, but there's that one thing that you know, like, man, God, God was really moving in this situation. Well, God gives us a little nugget of explanation that reminds us of his power to fulfill his promises. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 22 and 23. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin will be with child and she will bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. In other words, Matthew interjects as the Holy Spirit leads him to do so. I want you to know something. All of this conversation with Joseph, all of this revelation of God's plan, everything about this dream, all of this was done because God was fulfilling his promises. In fact, this scripture references two prophets, prophecies of the Old Testament that had been prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And yet in this moment, God was fulfilling them. A thousand years earlier in 2 Samuel chapter seven, God had said, listen, here's David, this king, and it is through his line that I'm gonna raise up a king with a kingdom that will never end. What does the angel call Joseph? Hey, Joseph, son of David, 
Actually, that was not Joseph's father's name, but what the Bible's doing and what God is doing is he's reminding him of his lineage of David. Because what God had promised a thousand years ago, guess what? He's still fulfilling, he's doing. Oh, oh, and by the way, remember that prophecy in, in Isaiah almost 700 years before the birth of Christ about the virgin who's gonna conceive and have a child and he'll be known as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Hey, that God is going to one day come and dwell among us and make a way for us to be saved. That's right, that prophecy from almost 700 years ago, guess what? God is still accomplishing and fulfilling. Here's the point, the point is this. I said it last week, I'll say it again. What God says he will do He does. God never lies. A man tells you they're gonna do something, there might be a shade of doubt. Some men tell you to do something, you know it'll never happen. But when God says he's gonna do it, he does it. It may not be in your time or in the way you think he will, but God is faithful to fulfill his word. Number 20, Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not a man that he should lie. And everybody said, amen. Nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Jeremiah 1 verse 12, here's what God says about his own word. I am watching over my word to perform it. God says what he means and he does what he says. In other words, today, as you know God's word and study his word and understand his promises, you can take it to the bank, you can mark it down with absolute full assurance. He's going to do what he says he will do. Which brings me to the final point and we'll wrap up our time. The final thing I want you to see this morning is the choice of God's plan. The choice of God's plan. We saw this last week, we see it today, we'll see it in every pastor's scripture. God never gives his word, discloses the next step, leads us in his will, simply for us to be aware. He leads these things and speaks in these ways, he guides us so that we will act in obedience. Joseph wakes up and he wakes up and he says, wow, what a cool dream. No, that's not what he says. Joseph wakes up and he's so moved with emotions that he begins to wipe away the tears and he gets the warm and fuzzies. No, that's not what the Bible says. Notice what happens in verses 24 and 25. Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Listen to this. He took Mary as his wife. Why? Because that's what God's counsel was. Listen to his integrity. But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. Oh, it didn't end there. And he called his name Jesus. Why? Because he believed the message was true This one to be born is God our salvation. This morning as we close our time together and close this message, I think there's probably two specific ways in which God might be speaking or we might need to respond today. The first is simply this. God the Father looks at God the Son And he calls him Jesus, our salvation. The first question I want to ask you today is simply this. Are you certain that you have received God's gift of salvation? Are you certain that your sins are forgiven? Jesus said loud and clear in John 14, that he is the way, he's the truth, he's the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. The wonderful truth of scripture is that God so loved all the world that he's made a way that all of us can be saved. Every single person can experience that gift. And the Bible tells in Romans 10, 13 how we experience it. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My question is this. Are you saved? Have you received God's gift of salvation? If anything this pandemic has taught us, 
it has taught us that life is brief. And you can't control the outcome. Neither can I. Ever since my family and I walked through COVID this past summer, it has reminded me literally that every breath is a gift from God. But you don't know and I don't know when that last breath will come. But you know in this moment, God is giving you an opportunity to be certain of your salvation. Are you saved? But there are some of us here today that, that we're certain of our salvation. We can go to a specific time, place, and a moment when we called upon Jesus to save us. We can look at our life and we can see the change that God has brought in our life. He literally not changed our, our circumstance maybe or our, our outcome of things around us, but he's changed us from the inside out. And if that's you, maybe what God is calling you to do is to be willing to wait and look to him for guidance and direction. Maybe what he's calling us to do is to be willing to surrender and literally put our yes on the table that God, as you lead and where you lead, we will obey. But here's the deal. Whether God is calling you to salvation or he's simply calling us to a place of further surrender and obedience, here is the key. The key to both is one simple word. It's the word faith. Hebrews 11 says it this way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not yet seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Here's the question. Will you have faith? Will you believe? Will you trust in God Trust in Jesus as Lord and trust his plans. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. Would you speak to our hearts and now? Help us to know loud and clear how you would have us to respond. And may we be obedient to your leading. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.